Hi everyone, welcome back to our Streaming Science podcast series. I am your hostess, Shelby Carlton from Lakeland, Florida, and I am a senior majoring in Agricultural Communication at the University of Florida. Streaming Science is a student-driven multimedia science literacy program connecting you to scientists and scientific concepts to enrich your everyday life. You're listening to our Science of Superstorms playlist. Superstorms are complex with multiple scientific and social layers. In this podcast, I am investigating how storms impact first responders. I spoke with Marcus Odom, who is a lineman in Central Florida, in relation to superstorms. Listen to the interview to learn more about how he prepares for the storms, the work that he does during the storms, and the way he feels when he returns home. I'm just going to ask you some questions about superstorms and the work that you've done with superstorms. So how many storm trips have you been on? I'd say close to 15. And where all have you traveled? Pretty much all the way up the East Coast. I've done work in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, uh, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania. I think that's about it. That's a lot of places. Uh, So how do you prepare for a storm? Like, Do you have to pack a lot of safety equipment? Pretty much everything we use on a day-to-day basis we take with us, so we already have it on the truck, other than uh, extra clothes, socks and underwear, you know, stuff like that. Uh, Personal items is the main thing we try to get ready because you always hate to leave that behind. And uh, extra equipment, you know, extra material, because a lot of times when you first get to places like that, they don't have anything set up yet, so you try to bring extra material that we have something to work with until they provide it with you or for you. So you've been to a lot of storms. Um, Which one would you say stood out the most to you? Definitely Hurricane Michael. What was it like after Hurricane Michael? Uh, Total devastation. Uh, We went to the heart of the storm where the eye came through and uh, it looked like a bomb had gone off. I don't know. It was like a third world country when we first got there for at least 14 to 16 days. People were just left without nothing. That's terrible. How long did you have to prepare for this storm? Like, how much time in advance did you I mean, because of the way that storm built, nobody thought it was going to be what it was until about two days before. And then even still, we didn't realize how big the storm was going to be until uh, pretty much the day it was coming on land. So we got the call at 3 p.m. the day the storm was hitting and told us to get ready, and we left the next day at about 7 or 8 in the morning to head that way. Wow, so you didn't have much time at all. Not for that one. So you were stationed in Panama City? Yeah, we for the first uh, two weeks or so, we stayed in Ebro, which is just north of Panama City, because Panama City, they weren't able to get in there with any uh, uh, sleeping arrangements and stuff like that. All the hotels were pretty much demolished so that we had nowhere to stay so we stayed about 30 45 minutes north in a town called Ebro at a dog track there they had some uh, trailers and stuff like that set up with sleep bunks and some uh, showers and stuff for us at night how long were you there uh, I think we were there 22 days that's counting driving there and driving back so we worked a total of 20 wow um, what were the days like there? Like, what did y'all do throughout the day? Uh, the first, probably close to a week, was what we call cut and clear. Is We just went through and tried to make a path. We uh, There, there was nothing left standing as far as power lines go. 
uh, everything was in the roads or in the ditches or the woods or people's yards. So we go through and what we call cut and clear is just cut a path, try to clear up anything that's a danger to pedestrians and stuff like that, which up there, a lot of people's houses and stuff like that were gone. So you had a lot of people walking in and out of your job site. So you have a lot of uh, a lot of different things under load. You have a lot of trees and poles that's being held by nothing but the wire. And you know if that were to go, there's you know it's like a slingshot or a catapult, and you want to make sure nobody's in that line of fire. So for the first close to a week, that's all we did was clean up the area, cut everything free, got everything out of the way so we could start setting poles, you know, stringing new wire. We did a, I think we tallied it up. I don't remember the number of the poles, but we built just over uh, three miles of power lines, just my company. While we were up there, we had about uh, seven or eight crews that were up there. We rebuilt over three miles of line. We started at a substation and built to the next substation. And, uh, yeah, everything that goes on a power line, we pretty much rebuilt from a house service to a street light, transformers, stuff like that, you know, that you see on a day-to-day basis that wasn't left standing because of the storm. That's crazy. So how were you treated when you were there? Were you respected? Yeah, I'd say so. Most everybody was pretty kind uh, as far as, you know, the the customers, what we call them, you know, the locals, they were uh, pretty devastated with themselves, so we didn't really interact with them a whole lot at first, which I don't blame them because they had their own problems to deal with. But uh, there towards the end, once we started to get a little bit of, you know, it took us, I think, about uh, the 16th or 17th day is when we got the first customer back, you know, hot. We had the first line energized. The main problem with that is all the transmission lines were down to the substation, So we had no way, once we got a few lines up and going, we had no way to energize the substation. So that's what took the longest. And uh, once we got the substation energized, we were able to, you know, bring some power to a few customers. And it was just here and there. You know, a lot of people couldn't get the power they needed because the house, you know, was pretty much deemed unlivable. So we would have to cut that service down and inform them that they had a lot of fixes they need to make on their house, such as the weatherhead or the meter box, stuff like that that the customer owns. That was either ripped off the house or they had a tree through the roof, stuff like that, that we couldn't supply power to the house because of the hazard that it would cause if we did. So a lot of times if we ran upon that, a lot of people wouldn't be understandable with it. We'd get a little mad, but other than that, everybody was pretty helpful with us and understood the time that it was going to take to get everything up back and going. Yeah, with that much devastation, it's going to take time. You've told me about one man that you met when you were there. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? The very first day when we drove into Panama City, uh, we came in on 98, and we were about five miles or so from the beach, give or take. I'm not real sure. I don't really remember, but uh, it was probably one of the most emotional things I've ever been through, and I know 70 to 80% of the guys that were with us were the same way we uh, pulled in this parking lot that had enough room for us to get all our trucks into and when I mean total devastation I mean there wasn't a roof left on anything half the walls were blown over on everything there wasn't but maybe one out of ten trees standing we were all sitting there trying to get our wits about us and trying to figure out where to start really because it was just such a wreck there was a man that well there was this ice house where you know you buy your ice in bulk you pull it with a cooler or something like that and you pay a dollar and it spits you out 20 pounds of ice so it's probably like a 20 by 10 foot building it's got a reefer unit and all that in it i don't know the weight but i'd imagine it's pretty heavy 
and it was toppled across this parking lot maybe 100 feet or better. It just had rolled off of its foundation. And uh, there was this man sitting on the center block next to it. And the first day we noticed him and didn't think nothing about it. Well, the second day we came back to the same spot and they had got us a bunch of lunch and stuff that morning. So we all had a few ham sandwiches and stuff like that. And finally, we took a lunch break around one or two o'clock and that man was still sitting there. So we walked over to see if he needed anything, you know, water and stuff like that, because the Red Cross hadn't been able to get in there yet. I mean, the roads and stuff, we could barely get our trucks out, trucks down, and that was having to get out with chainsaws and stuff like that to cut a path to get there. And uh, the man said no, he was just waiting on family, and he had no phone, which there was no cell service anyways. We asked him where his family lived, and the most of them lived in Alabama, which was a couple hours away. He had no contact with them since the storm, so we asked him where he lived, and he pointed at a apartment complex slash, you know, hotel, extended stay type place. The roof was blown off of it, and the back wall was just laid down like dominoes. We said, well, where have you been staying? He said, well, i still got my bed over there, but other than that, I've been hanging out here during the day. We said, have you had anything to eat? He said, not much. Most of all my food's, you know, going bad, and without having a roof on his house, I'd imagine everything was soaking wet, too. So a few of us had a couple extra sandwiches and drinks. We gave him and gave him some water. We asked him where he stayed during the storm, and he pointed at that hotel extended stay place with no roof and a wall. So we're like, holy cow, what was that like? said he was trying to sleep through it. He was laying in bed, and the front door started to shake and rattle real bad, and one of his windows blew out. So he started to make his way, and this is an older man, so I imagine he can't move too fast. He started to make his way through the bathroom. He said as soon as he got to the bathroom door, his front door blew in and blew off the hinges. He said when that happened, that's when the roof lifted off. And he said he got in there and got wrapped around his toilet in between his toilet and his tub, and he stayed there for almost four hours until the storm was light enough to where he could you know, get out and bear the rain and the wind. And that's whenever he realized that the wall had been blown over by the storm once the roof had been blown off. So he just stayed in there until it got daylight and quit raining, and then he went and sat at that little ice house just waiting on somebody to come help him, I guess. It was a pretty crazy story. I couldn't imagine living through that. I couldn't imagine either. So this was obviously an emotional trip. How did you feel after you left? Well, the first feeling I felt when I got there was guilty because when we go on these storms, a lot of times you know, we, we all get to cut up and have a good time. And, you know, because it's a little different than the work we do every day at home. And we get to make a little extra money, and it's a good time just to kind of get away from home, do a little bit of work. Normally, we're only gone for a week to two weeks. At You know, two weeks is kind of a long deal. So most of the time, seven to ten days, and we're back home. And when we got there, we realized that we were going to be there for a long time. We realized that our own needs, such as a paycheck and having fun, was nothing compared to the needs of the people that got affected by the storm. So for almost three or four days, I would feel terrible driving back and forth to where we were working just because of my mindset going into it was we're going to go have some fun, we're going to make some money, and we're going to go home. And then when I got there, I realized that these people didn't even have a home. It just made you feel pretty guilty about all that. And then as we got to work and I got to feel a little better, we got to get a lot of work done. You know, We worked uh, pretty much from daylight to dark. We'd get up around 6 eat breakfast and try to be out there at the job by daylight and then by dark we would try to be wrapping things up and to me putting in a long day like that it just kind of makes you feel good makes you feel like you're doing something but by about the 18th or 19th day we were all getting pretty sick and tired of one another and ready to go home so by the time we got out the trucks to head home finally got the word that we were getting to go home 
it was a pretty good feeling to get to come home, know you had a home to come to and your family was safe and you had a warm bed and all that to come home to. It felt pretty good knowing where we were headed once we finally got the word. I'm glad y'all were able to make some progress. How was it looking when y'all left? Did it look any better? As far as power lines are concerned, it looked totally different because when we got there literally for miles and miles, just my company alone built over three miles and there was a dozen other companies out there that probably did the same. As far as that goes, yes, it was kind of cool to get see some street light work in. So a couple of signs that were still standing were work in. But uh, as far as businesses and stuff like that, I think on the whole strip right there, there was a, you know, like McDonald's, a Walmart, a Zaxby's, a Pizza Hut, stuff like that. And the day we left, the only thing that was open was a Sonic. And after going that long, we eating ham sandwiches and rice for dinner. A Sonic hamburger was pretty awesome. <laughs> I bet. Thank you for joining me today, Marcus. Yep, thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to our guest and learning about the work that he does and the experiences that he's had helping with the aftermath of superstorms. I'm your hostess, Shelby Carlton. Stay tuned for more tracks from our Science of Superstorms series on StreamingScience.com and connect with us on social media. Have a great day. Thanks for listening.